Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're, we're actually going to wrap up our, I want to call it our dig, if you will, into these Beatitudes that we are, we're very familiar with, but um, are a little bit more difficult to actually obey than they are to just here, let's, let's read the bottom half again as we open today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible said, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. They will see God. And I, I just want to make sure that you understand, um, it's, it's not up to you to purify your heart. You can't make your heart pure. But there, is, there are some things that you did and that have been done that you have no control over, okay? And the enemy would like for you to stay stuck there. The enemy would like for you to be condemned by that. God would like for you to be convicted by that, that this is what you did, okay, but this is what God did, and because of what God did, this is who you can be. So you can't purify your heart. Only God can purify your heart, amen? Come on, I think that's worth giving him a little bit of thanks for right there. Only God can purify your heart, but this is what I believe, you can keep it pure. And that didn't get as many amens as that first one. God can purify your heart, but only you, come on, you can keep it pure by what you put back in it after he cleans it out. And Jesus is reminding us that the pure in heart will see the Lord. Verse 9, God blesses those who I like the New Living Translation here, who work for peace, because that phrase, the, the peacemakers, you know, that's been misinterpreted and, and then even misplaced. You know, well, don't respond. You know, God blesses those who keep the peace. Ah, that's not what it says. It's not saying God blesses those who sweep things under the rug for somebody else to trip over. <laughs> you ever bought a used house? Hello, come on, somebody. If you don't handle it, you hand it down. When you don't deal with it, somebody else has to. And normally it ends up kind of like a zit. Come on, I'm trying to help you today. Just make a realistic example for you. My mama's going to be so disappointed in me. Uh, but, but, but the longer you just let it fester, come on, somebody. You just don't treat it. You ignore it. You hope it goes away. It's not going to. It's an infection. And you have to deal with the infection. Come on, sometimes you should use peroxide instead of alcohol and stop making it sting so bad. Come on, you angry Christians. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like if you could just use peroxide to clean out the wound instead of rubbing alcohol, you could just go. But Jesus says, blessed are those who, who work for peace. Listen to me. Harmony in your house is not just going to happen. Yeah. Harmony in your heart, it's not just going to happen. Harmony in your marriage, in your friendships, in your family. Come on, peace takes work. It takes effort. For relationships to, well, nothing's working out for me. Everything's working against me. No, you're not working. You're hoping instead of walking in authority. And Jesus says, blessed 
are the peacemakers. The ones who determine and decide, I ain't got time to preach it today, I'm going to do it anyways. The ones who decide harmony will be in my marriage. Harmony will be in my house. Harmony will be in this church. Harmony will exist in my heart. Even though I'm surrounded by chaos, I will work in the name of Jesus by the power of his spirit. And we will have peace in this place. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who work for peace uh, because they shall be called the children of God. Now, I don't want to retell the story about Radicus because I actually don't really see how that even fits except for Pastor Dylan is that good to just make. If you don't know what Radicus is, you need to go back and watch last week's message because it was worth it. Me listening to as I drove home and my wife was going to sleep on me. Verse 10. God blesses those, oh, we haven't done this one yet, and I don't like it. This is the eighth beatitude. This is the eighth attitude that you should be. Like, you can't just get the other seven right and then ignore this one. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, not for being religious and arrogant and prideful, it's very important. But God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then some people, they just lump this eighth beatitude in with this ninth one. They just put verse 10 and 11 as if it's one beatitude. I actually go with the thought process that these are two different beatitudes. And I'll show you why by the end of this message. Let's keep reading verse 11. And God blesses you when people mock you, make fun of you put you down, ostracize you, persecute you. And watch this, and lie about you. They, when they lie about you, you're walking in the blessing of God. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But when people lie about you and they plagiarize and persecute and slander you, even when you didn't do anything wrong, the Lord says you're blessed. And even if they say all sorts of evil things against you, you're blessed. Why? Because you are my followers. Yeah. If you're taking notes with me, number one, persecution, I believe persecution is preparation. I never really knew persecution. You know, 25 years ago, when I was in junior high and high school, and some of you are like, 25 years ago. I was like, I know, you're older than me. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> But 25 years ago, legitimately, 25 years ago, it was actually taboo if you didn't believe in Jesus, right? In my junior high and high school, like if somebody said, well, I'm an atheist, you're like, oh, an atheist? My goodness. I mean, 25 years ago, if somebody said, well, I'm gay, you're like, whoa, what? Why? You know? Now it's like, I'm an atheist. Good for you. Good for you, breaking the conformity. Somebody says, it, did you know, and I didn't share this in first service, I'm going to be careful, but I have a former student who is a youth pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's actually moved since then, but he had students in his youth group that they would just say, yeah, I'm bisexual. Because that was just like the cool thing to say. Like it, it was, and he would ask, like, have you, like, have you done something? He's like, no. Well, why do you say that? Well, it's just, I mean, I just am. No, you're not. No, you're a child of God. 
That's it. You, you, well, I have feelings. About, who cares how you feel? Where's your faith? That's the question. But today, it's not like that. And so me growing up, junior high and high school in the area that, in which I live, come on, you know, like North Louisiana, that's Southern Baptist Central, right? Central Louisiana, they all Pentecostal, right? And then down here, we're all Catholic. And it's, anyways, it's just all these places, but we all believe in Jesus. See, if I would have been the atheist, atheist in my high school, I would have said, well, you say you believe in Jesus, but you act and live just like me. So what's the difference in us? But when, when they said that, they stood out, right? Because everybody else believed in Jesus. And then through college, I was in Shreveport, so still, you know, very Christian, pro-Christian environment, pro-believe-in-Jesus environment. And then I moved. And I went to Canada. I went to New York. And down in southern Florida and eastern Tennessee. And I found out that everybody doesn't believe in Jesus. And then I actually began to try to live for Jesus, not just say that I agreed that he exists. And I found that people didn't like that. In fact, if I stayed home because I was engaged and they all went out, and I knew what happened when I went out, some of you are still, you're in the oil field, you're on the pipeline, like you get it. And it's tough. It's tough to be miles away from everybody that cares whether you live for Jesus or not and still do it. I said it's tough to be miles away from the people that really care whether you live for Jesus or not and still do it and stay home. But can I tell you, even though I was separated and, and then I couldn't even get mad, right? Like I'll strike out and get, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm a Christian that struck out. Leave me alone. Okay? <laughs> you, you, can't even, you can't even get mad. You can't do anything wrong. Or your belief is used against you because of the way that you behave. Why? Because you're always an example. You don't get to take a vacation from Jesus. And I, and I sensed, like, not persecution as biblical persecution, but I, I sensed the, the, ostracization, ostracization, the isolation <laughs> of attempting to live for God. And they didn't like me because I didn't do this stuff and I did this. Here's the point of all that. It was in that season of my life that I grew closer to God than I had ever been before. It was in that season of my life that I read this book more than I'd ever read it before. That I developed a prayer life that I didn't previously have. Because persecution, God likes to use that as preparation for what he's going to use you to accomplish for him, not for me, but for him. I think of uh, real persecution when I read this scripture. You know, like a couple of years ago when we were praying with the wife of a pastor who was imprisoned because he preached the gospel, an assembly of God pastor that churches across our fellowship supported. I, I think of the Canadian pastor a year and a half ago that was arrested because he was having services just north of us a year and a half ago. I think of actual persecution for like the young woman in India who converts to Christianity and is ostracized and separated from her family 
and no longer accepted in the home that she grew up in just because she confessed Jesus as Lord. I think of people in this community, people connected to this house, and I'm going to go ahead and say it because y'all know I'm not normally one to hold back anyways, but people in this house who developed an authentic relationship with Jesus through this church, and they converted to this church, and now they're being scrutinized by people who should be loving them and celebrating their actual relationship with Jesus. It's that kind of persecution. And God says, when you stand in righteousness facing that kind of persecution, you are blessed. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. So when, uh, <laughs> when Megan and I got married, um, we did this, this registry thing, right? I didn't even know. Like we were supposed to do this and we, and we, we signed up for this by we, I mean, she signed up for this registry and then she started registering for all this stuff that we didn't need. Right. And, and we got all this attic stuff. Honestly, like the last time we moved, I said, look, I have moved these boxes to the last attic. They are staying here. I don't know what we're going to do with them, but I am not moving them again. I have moved them from four attics now. They obviously don't have a place in our lives. Okay, we're not just going to hold on to them any longer. And she agreed, like, I've been waiting for you to get rid of it. It's like, okay, this is mostly my stuff. Anyways, so one of the things that, that we really love that we did register for was we have these, these bowls and these coffee mugs and these plates, right? And we can serve you coffee at our house and, and it'll say, yeah, faith pleases God. Have your coffee. <laughs> and we have these, these little saucers, you know, you can put like a dessert on it and, and it says, God is love. <laughs> have your carbs. Come on, sis. <laughs> Sugar up, buttercup. God is love, you know? We have all these sweet scriptures. Like you go to somebody else's house and you wash your hands and it's like blessed are those who are in the Lord. And like, oh, I'm blessed in the Lord. With dry hands on a dirty towel. How long has this been hanging here? Why is it wet? Why is this already wet? It was wet before I... I want to read some scriptures you're not going to put on your towel. I want to quote the Bible this morning and share with you some passages you're not going to place on your coffee cup. Second Corinthians chapter two, he says this, Paul, I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. Wow, that's messed up, Paul. I mean, it sounds like my man set us up for failure. Verse 10, and when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. I'm forgiving him with you. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with the authority of Christ in Jesus' name for your benefit. Even Paul understood that, that he didn't forgive what only Jesus could forgive. Verse 11, why did I do this? So that Satan will not outsmart us. Because really the devil didn't make you do it. You just needed more discipline. So that Satan will not outsmart us, I, I face this trial because I understand that it's trials that produce perseverance and perseverance that produces character and character produces hope and hope, come on, is the substance of faith than things unseen. 
Satan does not outsmart us because we're familiar with his stupidity. I mean, his schemes. Listen, part of your Christianity, it's so important that we understand this. Part of your Christianity is persecution. But we, because our Christianity is American, it's not biblical. When we face persecution, we think there's a problem with our Christianity. But the Bible says that persecution is actually evidence of your, of your Christianity. Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, everyone, come on, say it with me, everyone. Everyone who wants to live a godly life. Every single person in this room, listening online, watching live or later, if you want to live for Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Every single person that wants to live for God. If you're going to live, listen, we are not in a pro-Christian America. Get over it. It's over. It's done. We passed that about a decade ago. We are, our nation is no longer pro-Christianity. We are in a post-Christian society. Welcome to the first century church, except for their persecution had nothing to do with how cold it was in the worship center in the middle of the summer. Come on, somebody. Like, they didn't come to service and get mad that there wasn't a parking spot with lines on it, and they had to leave and go over here, park in the gravel. No, that's American persecution. I'm talking about biblical persecution, and I believe that Paul did not just write this for his protege, Timothy. I believe that he wrote it for the church that was actually going to go through something significant. We live in a post-Christian. We're no longer in a society that doesn't just accept, like, we just don't accept Christ. No, no, no. We live in a society that is against Christ. We live in an anti-Christ culture. We are on the other side of our Christianity being acceptable. In fact, it is more acceptable for you to become a Muslim, come on, and or a member of the LGBTPAQRSTUV, whatever it is that you want to be. It is more acceptable for you to live an unbiblical lifestyle than it is for you to try to stand in the truth of God's word and stay influential with God's word because we are in an anti-Christ, anti-Bible culture. And if you are going to live for Jesus in this anti-Christ culture, it is going to cost you something. It is going to cost you influence. It's going to cost you promotion. It's going to cost you entertainment. It's going to cost you giving credit on your taxes. It's going to cost you when you walk onto that campus, when you go into that workplace, you will be skipped over because you're saved and sanctified and you are unwilling to lower your standard in order to achieve their success. It is time that the church understands that persecution is part of the process of being prepared and purified like gold. It's just what's... Everyone who tries to live for God, you will be left out. When you don't talk like they talk, drink like they drink, play like they play, you will be left out. When you pursue purity instead of immorality, you will be left out. You will be ignored. You will be ostracized. When you are not willing to give 
to their so-called tolerance. It's going to cost you something. You remember when things were just insinuated in shows? And as an adult, like you caught it, but the children probably didn't notice. Yeah, 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 we're way past that. It is now an intentional agenda to confuse our culture. And it's not a person problem. Come on, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is a power and principality problem. The biggest problem is not what's happening in our society. It's that we have way too many so-called saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, Pentecostals who are powerless against passions that exceed our own for temporary purposes that will perish. God said, you are blessed when you are persecuted for doing what is right. Matthew 24, Jesus, he is describing the last days and he's saying, hey, there's gonna be pestilences, come on. There's gonna be COVID, there's gonna be famines. There will be, there will be droughts of wheat and excess of weed. Come on, somebody, I was like, <laughs> If we can't get wheat, why is there so much weed? I don't know. I, just, I don't get it. I don't why it doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> Jesus says there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and storms and stinking hurricanes over and over again. And then he says this. That's just the beginning. Verse 8. That, all this is it's just the first of the birth pains. I remember when Megan was pregnant with Adeline, and it was her first pregnancy. It's so funny to me when guys say it was our first pregnancy. Like, hold on, bro, you not pregnant, Jack. Okay, it's not how that works, man. <laughs> no matter what our culture tries to say. Anyway, sorry. She was pregnant, and so she began to have these, these what she thought were contractions. And ladies, you'll know, I think it's the Braxton Hicks, right? It's like false contractions. She's like, oh, I'm going into labor. I was like, get in the car, because you're not going into labor here. We're going into labor there. Like, get in the car. Let me show you how fast I can go. Watch this. And so we get in the car, and we, we go to the hospital, and she walks in, and she's so cute with her little belly, and, and she's like, I think I'm going into labor. And the nurse is like, you're not. And, it's so cute though, because you're early, you're not going into labor. Come back when you're not smiling. That's, the, that's what she said. You come back, y'all come back when you're not smiling. I think that God has given the church an ultimatum. Come back when you're not smiling. Stay put when you're not smiling. Stand when you're not smiling. Worship when you're not smiling. Praise when you're not smiling. Go for Jesus no matter what, no matter anybody else's agenda when you're not smiling. When it's, when it's not conducive for you to go after him, will you still go after him? When it's not conducive for you to give, will you still give? When it's not conducive for you to serve, will you still serve? When it's not conducive for you to share your story and invite people along in your journey, will you still be the light of God even when you're surrounded by darkness? 
and the whole world shuts down, will the saved rise to the surface? Because that's just the beginning. I'm telling you right now, 2020, it was just the beginning of birth pains. It was just a warning from our Father of how easy it will be for everything that we find our identity in to be stripped away in a day. It's the beginning of birth pains with more to come. Bless the Lord. So glad I dropped everything to become a disciple of Jesus. You mean when I start following Jesus, everything doesn't just work out? Come on, whenever I tithe, all my finances don't just magically multiply? No. With way more to come. Verse 9, you're going to be arrested. Bless God. You will be persecuted. And you will be killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. You know what scares me about conservative politics? Their Christianity is just as conservative as their politics. And the same scares me about liberal politics. Their lifestyle is just as liberal as their politics. See, Jesus isn't liberal or conservative. He's king. He's not the balance. He's the only. You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated for one reason. Because when everybody else falls away, you follow. Verse 10, watch. Many, just like in 2020, will blame God for all of their problems. Many will turn away from me, and they will betray. Sound familiar? We just saw it. They will betray and hate one another. See, if persecution is preparation, then, then I believe that instead of turning away, number two, when persecution comes, we should turn to the Father. Like even more, there is a presence of God that you only get to experience when you feel the most isolated. There is a presence of God, I'm going to show you in just a second. There is a presence of God that you only get to experience when you are under fire. And when the pressure is at its highest, you have to pursue the presence of God. Turn to the Father. Megan and I got to go down to Fairhope, Alabama this past week and got to see my, my youngest brother, my dad's youngest son, his wife, and he's got these two babies. One's, one's three and one's one, and they're hilarious. And it's so fun to watch other people struggle in that season, you know? So it's, <laughs> it's like, what do we do? Like, I don't know, survive. Good luck. I don't, <laughs> read a book, pray. I don't <laughs> But there they are, and they've got this three-year-old, old Mason Douglas, and then, and then this little, oh my goodness, big old eyes, Aniston, and she loves me more than she loves May May. True story. She'll tell you. It was, it was true. She, like, she wanted me. It's because I look like her daddy, but that doesn't matter. She wanted me more 
than more than May May. And uh, and she would come to me and blah blah blah. And, and we were there with them. And and Mason, he's you know on the he's on the he's on the positive side of potty training. And if you don't remember that season, that was fun. Um, and he he gets the, he did the universal symbol. You know what? I won't do it because it's inappropriate. But you can tell, like, my man, he's like, and Marshall saw him. He's like, God, you need to go potty. He's like, I poop. You know, <laughs> it's, it's too late. That's what he was saying. It's too late. <laughs> Good thing we grow out of that sometimes. Oh, anyways, um, and then we grow back into it. Anyway, all right. So he, he had an accident, and, and then they came into the restaurant, and he's, in, and he's just got a pull up on or a diaper on. And so I was like, Mason, where's your pants? He's like, because you know, he knew, you know, he'd messed on himself and he was, didn't have pants on. But he was, it's cool because he's cute and tiny. And um, he was in the restaurant and running around and, and he hit his head on something. You know, he's just having a bad day. He lost his pants. I mean, you know what I mean? Hit his head. <laughs> it's just a tough day for the three-year-old. So he did what he knew to do at three years old. He turned with tears in his eyes, lifted his arms in the air, and he called over and over again. Daddy, daddy, daddy. So what'd Marshall do? Get away from me, you dirty, rotten sinner. You don't have any pants on. <laughs> it's not what he did. Marshall did what Jesus did to the woman caught in the act of adultery. He bent down where he was and he picked him up out of his mess, out of his problem, out of the persecution that he was bringing on himself. Yet nonetheless, he was struggling with. Why? Because when persecution increases and when the pressure of problems seems like more than you can carry, instead of turning away, turn to. Turn to your father like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane on the way to the cross when he said, Abba, Father, this cup is too much for me to bear. And God said, I got you. Turn to the Father. Run to Jesus. When we're persecuted for doing what is right, then we should continue to pursue God's presence. Be saturated in God's presence. I'm not, I don't have these scriptures, but in Luke chapter 6, we see this analogy between somebody who, who built their house on sand and somebody who built their house on solid rock. And when the storm of life came, when the persecution came, when the problems came, when the pressure of society came, when COVID hit the earth, everybody who had their house built on the sand was exposed and their house was blown away. It affected their relationships. It affected their emotional stability. And there weren't enough pills in the nation, come on, to satisfy the lack of peace from all the people. Because the house was built upon sand. And it wasn't because they weren't hearing the word of God. It's because they weren't obeying the word of God. It's because they were casually blending into society and calling that salvation. But the Bible says the one who hears and obeys, the one who hears and applies the word of God to their life, it doesn't matter what storms come through because the house is built upon the solid rock and the solid rock, come on, is not affected by the storm. 
And when you are built upon the solid rock, it doesn't matter what problem, what persecution, or what pressure this fallen world and or fallen people and or fallen powers and principalities bring against you. The storm cannot affect the saved because the saved have their identity in their Savior. And he is the Lord our God, and he changeth not. I'm going to hurt myself before the end of this message today. It was the prison of persecution that Paul and Silas praised off the chains. It was the prison of persecution that Paul and Silas praised open the doors of the cell. It was the prison of persecution that they praised the jailer into the arms of Jesus. It was the pit of persecution that prepared Joseph for the palace. And it was the palace of persecution that prepared Daniel and the three Hebrew boys for the purpose of God in the most ungodly society in which they had ever sat. Think of these three Hebrew boys. The devil was after them. Just like he is after every person in this room under the age of 25. If you're under the age of 25, I need you to look this way for a second. If you're sitting with them, bump them and make sure they're awake. Give them some coffee and amp them up a little bit so they'll leave as excited as I'm trying to be right now in this pulpit. I'm telling you, the enemy is after you because he is afraid of you. He understands the anointing and the kingdom potential that lies inside of you. And just like he saw the Hebrew boys as a threat that he needed to eliminate, he is trying to confuse you. He is trying to steal your joy and steal your identity. And it is time that we as the spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers give them a purpose that exceeds the passion of this place. The only thing the enemy knew to do to the young people whenever he saw the potential inside of them was turn up the heat and that's what he's doing now I told you earlier what 20 years ago was just insinuated in movies what 20 years ago was just insinuated in sitcoms Sitcoms are shows, 25 and under, those are shows they used to air. You had to watch commercials and everything. It was absolutely horrible. <laughs> they used to just insinuate it in songs. But now, uh-uh, there's no insinuation. It's intentional. There is an intentional impression that the enemy is trying to place on this generation because he sees the anointing that is upon this group of people. And when this group of people will not bow, oh, I'm going to hurt myself here in a second. When we won't bow our knee to the gods of society, when we refuse to bend and or break, even if it helps us get promoted, when we refuse to bow like everybody else is bowing, when we refuse to be entertained by what everybody else is entertained by, when we refuse refuse to invest in what everybody else is invested in, when we refuse to pursue what everybody else is pursuing, while everybody else is bowing down, we're standing up, and the devil hates it. Yeah. 
Nebuchadnezzar hated that they would not bow to him and his gods. But I came to ask today, why in the world would we bow to things that are going to be forced to bow on their own? I'm not bowing to temporary, earthly, unaccountable people and problems when I know that I serve a God that one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when everybody else has been over, broken down and bowed in their own flesh and the desires of the society and culture in which we stand I will stand on the truth of Calvary and the cross of Jesus Christ why would I bow to things that are going to be forced to bow to my king so they refused so what did Nebuchadnezzar do the Bible says he turned up the heat seven times hotter how stupid is that fire is fire Fire burns. It can be one times hotter. If you throw somebody in it, it's going to do what fire does. Seven times hotter. Well, you stood the first time he increased the heat. Why are you falling now? You stood the first time he tempted you. Why are you falling now? He was faithful the last time you gave. Why are you falling now? Oh, I can't get no help on this side. He was faithful the last time you served. He was faithful the last time you let somebody in. I know they hurt you, but he didn't hurt you. He made a way out for you. So when you're tempted beyond what you are able, you need to understand that that temptation is commonplace and it's just the devil trying to distract you because he sees the destiny inside of you. And they refused to bow, so he turned up the heat. And then, when he turned up the heat and warned them, he said, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And we'll see if your God will save you. I'm telling you, the day is coming when our Christianity costs us something. When following Jesus makes a difference in whether we're promoted or demoted. And whether we prosper or whether we're persecuted. And it's in that moment that we get to decide, will I fall like everybody else falls or will I follow like he's called me to? He set the example, all I got to do is walk in it. And they told, I love this phrase, we've preached it before, I won't over-preach it now. They looked at that fallen king, that ungodly leader, and they said, our God can and our God will, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will never bow our knee to any other God. So what did he do? He went and he bound them. Go bind them, turn up the heat and bind them. And the enemy, come on, I'm, I'm telling you, 25 and under, y'all got to hone in. Spiritual parents, y'all got to step up. Because the devil is trying to con, con, contract, constrict this generation so that they will try to remain casual. And their Christianity and their pursuit and their kingdom influence. But I came to tell this generation today that the kingdom on the inside of you is not overwhelmed by the kingdom all around you and or the culture's constriction. And if you don't allow the culture to constrict your Christianity, even when it costs you something, then you will accomplish what the kingdom of God on the inside of you wants to accomplish. 
He bound them, but he forgot that the one that they followed had all authority in the heaven and on the earth. So though he bound them in temporary ropes, the Bible said, and Jesus proclaimed what the Hebrew boys discovered, that whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So stop complaining about what's going on in your house and start loosening the kingdom of God in your living room. Stop whining about what's wrong and start binding the devil out of your heart and off of the people that you love. He threw him in the fire. And then in the fire, the earthly king saw the king of kings. Before the fire, nobody saw Jesus. But in the fire, when the person of God stayed faithful in the midst of the persecution, this is so good, the fire that the devil meant to punish becomes the fire that God uses to purify. And they came out on the other side of that fire and they didn't even smell like smoke because humanity can't sense the sovereignty of your Savior. Daniel chapter 3 verse 30 says this, Then the king promoted Shadrach. He's still calling them by their Babylonian names because he understands that if he can confuse their identity, then he can constrict their anointing. So he promoted them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their name. Their Hebrew name were names of worship for the one true God. Their Babylonian names were names of worship for the fallen gods. And yet, this fallen king had no option but to promote them whenever they stayed true to their father in the midst of the persecution. Because persecution is preparation. And when you face persecution, you don't turn away and you don't bow down. You turn to your father. And number three, when you turn to your father, God turns your persecution into his purpose. See, this is the difference between these last two Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Or God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. And we have to deal. We can't just do right and then be persecuted. But we have to then begin to deal. Are y'all with me? We have to then begin to deal with the persecution the right way. We have to handle the person persecuting us the way that God would handle them. Not the way the atheist would handle them. Not the way the unbeliever would respond. Let's read it, Matthew chapter 5. I know I already read it, but I want to show you again. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and they persecute you and they lie about you and they say all sorts of evil things against you because, because you're doing right and you continue to do right. 
This is why I believe these are two different Beatitudes. Because the eighth Beatitude is about me doing right. This Beatitude is about how I respond when I'm done wrong. This Beatitude is about how I respond when I am done wrong. See, because your true faith is revealed when it's tested. And God doesn't tempt you because he's not temptable. But he will allow you to go through test to show you who he wants you to be and who you are not yet. Oh, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Oh, God blesses those who are persecuted and mocked and lie and continue to follow Jesus anyways. This is about how we respond to being done wrong because anybody can live for Jesus when the culture is conducive. But when you are persecuted, attacked and arrested, let me ask you a question. Are you gonna grab your gun? Or are you gonna grab God's word? I'm not saying I won't protect my babies. I'm not saying I don't have several guns. I would highly recommend you don't come in my house when I'm asleep. That's not how I wanna introduce you to Jesus. I would highly recommend you keep your hands off my vehicle while I'm sleeping. I get it, those things are happening, but that's not persecution. That's just people being evil. I'm talking about when somebody intentionally insults you, when the person that's supposed to love you is the person that leads you astray. When the person that you believed in and said believed in you is the one the enemy uses to insult you and lie about you, and they don't tag you, but you know they're talking about you. I can't get no help today. And Jesus says, you're not just blessed if that happens to you, but you are blessed if you're following me, even when it happens to you. So it's not just about what you do right. It's about how you respond when you're done wrong. We can't react the way that everybody else reacts when things go wrong. Please don't hone out because I've been going for 35 or 40 minutes. I don't know, we didn't put the clock up. I'm just trying to get you out of here on time. It's really important that you understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get to respond the way that everybody else is responding. Even when you strike out and you did your best, especially when you've done everything right and the devil comes in and uses somebody to persecute you, insult you, lie about you and say all, all sorts of evil things about you hear me hear me when you are facing persecution you are facing the right direction because the devil would leave you alone if you just keep walking with him he will leave you alone 
But when you start walking with Jesus on the straight and the narrow, he will give you every reason to step off of that path. He will use the people that should have been there to support you and make sure you stayed on it. He'll find the one thing that you place your identity in that is not Jesus. And he'll use that to draw you away. Jesus says, no, 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 you follow me. And then verse 12, and I wish he just left this out. And be happy about it. What? I wish I had time to explain it fully. But he doesn't just say be happy about it. He says, be very glad. I don't want to. I know. I know, and I didn't want to count the cross as a joy. But I decided to because I understood what carrying the cross would accomplish for the kingdom. And so I praise God for what I believed he would do, not just what I saw happening right there in that moment. Be very glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And I'm going to close with this verse. Because my whole life, I've heard the non-beatitudes preached in sermons. And then I've heard this next verse preached as a completely separate sermon. But I don't think that Jesus is offering us a transitional thought. This was revelational for me. I think what Jesus was saying is, come on, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are those who are pure of heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are those who are persecuted, mocked, insulted, and lied about every way, but continue to follow me. In fact, not only should you be blessed in it, but you should be glad about it because on the other side of all these be attitudes, the Bible says, when you walk this way, you are the salt of the earth if you get this then you get this but then Jesus says but what good is salt if it can't get along with pepper what good is salt if it loses its flavor every time that the finances don't work out the way they were supposed to what good is salt if it lays down its salvation every time somebody makes it mad what good is salt if it doesn't know how to treat a waitress what good is salt if it doesn't continue to maintain its saltiness because of the society in which it is surrounded, what good is it? Can you make it salty again? No, no, no. It says it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And it will be as worthless as those who turned away because of the persecution. This is part of the promise as well. But the good news was everything else that we read before that. That if you will, I love it, Matthew 24, endure to the end, you're blessed. So we don't complain, we don't worry, we don't react the way that everybody else does. 
Because, because we're the salt of the earth and the light of God shines brightest in the darkness of the world.